0: and Gernadier have paved the way in Harrisburg with similar outreaches that they're doing in uh, downtown on 13th Street for quite a few years, kind of modeling what they have done. Uh, God's Open Up shared the story of the Himalayan Project. Yesterday, we had another outreach. Um, we were there all day together. So I have a couple of pictures just to show you um, the joy that we had in serving this community um, right off of Derry Street. It's just the people lining up. Um, this, and primarily, it was a lot of new people that have not been there uh, before. We had Paul who is part of our church here. He and his brother Bobby came and another friend Paul that he brought with him. Uh, And we have an amazing team of volunteers, mostly teenagers um, that are helping us. I mean, they stay till after dark, flattening the boxes. And I have to like say, we're done. You guys should go home now. And so these are just some couple of the pictures of the beautiful uh, faces uh, that come for the outreach. Well, In in connection with this, I have the the amazing privilege to introduce uh, a family to you. This is their first time visiting Life Center and being here with us for service. They're a Hindu family. They are from Nepal, and um, they have never been to a church before. And yesterday, as we're having dinner, we, you know, after outreach, they invited all of us to their house, cooked the meals and blessed us. And in that interaction, you know, we we had the joy of inviting them today and they said, we would love to come. So, Brother Guru and your family, would you guys all stand up? You too, sister, you as well. Come on, can we just greet them and welcome them? Thank you. Please have a seat. Is that amazing? It's a harvest right here, and God is doing a beautiful thing. And uh, Gita is the one who invites all of her friends to come and volunteer. So most of the volunteers with the yellow vests are her classmates from school. um, That their their parents drop them off. And what an amazing thing! What what is going on? What is the Lord doing? Uh, And you know, this this season, we it's all centered on Christ. It's all centered on the love of God that we have in our hearts that was given freely to us so that we can show the love of God to everybody, right? Wherever there's need. And we do it in part by having food outreach and other ways, sharing the love, having we received, we were giving the love, showing the love to them. And then they were giving, showing us the love of God that they have in their hearts to us by hosting us and feeding us as a team. Uh, So it's a beautiful thing and there's more to come. This is just the beginning, right, Tilly? This is just the beginning. We're literally touching on things that God has swung the door open for, and we get to discover that together. Well, today is also the first day of Advent. If you celebrate that with a chocolate calendar or surprise calendars, uh, that's one way to do it. But uh, I love Advent. I love that today starts Advent, the next weeks. Advent is really honoring and marking the coming of Christ. To the world to bring love and salvation to all of mankind and we celebrate it celebrating leading up to the Christmas story when Jesus was born we celebrate the advent of his coming the first time but as believers in Jesus we not only celebrate the first time he came our hope is not as historians That would be pretty poor if all we had was history to point to. But our hope is that we're living in such a way right here, right now, that we become participants of his coming again. The advent that is yet to come that we're living today. Come on, give the Lord an offering of praise. This is what Advent truly means for us in 2022. We mark the story of his first coming, and we're inspired by that story, energized by that story, and we live in such a way today in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our schools, that we become carriers of the love of God to all the other people and letting them know Jesus is coming again. And he's not just coming for Christians, he's coming for God so loved the Wait, I didn't hear this. For God so loved the world. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that if Christians believe in him, what does it say? I, I, that Thanksgiving turkey is, ma- is still working its magic. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have There we go. But I have everlasting life. This is the message of Advent. This is what we're celebrating from now till December 25th. Not Santa Claus, not the presents, not the trees. They're all good. Sarah did this. Thank you, honey. Wonderful. But it is the coming of Christ, the Advent. And we live in such a way that we are representatives of one who is yet to come in all his glory. The king of kings, the Lord of lords, coming to rule and reign on the earth. Come on, what a joy that we have. And we feel the message that I want to share this morning is about living in such a way. In Second Peter, it says, knowing that we're at that last days, you know, what manner of life ought we to live? It says, in holy conduct, number one, and two, living in such a way that we are looking for and hastening his soon return. There are two things here that we are to live in this way. One is that we are anticipating. We know he's coming again. We're looking for his soon return. But it's not only that. It is looking for and hastening his soon return. Come on. I love that second part. Anyone can look for what is to come. It's got nothing to do with me. I check the box. I receive Jesus in my heart. I'm saved. I'm a believer. And he's coming again. I know the story. He's going to come. I'm just going to be by, sweet by and by. I don't know who wrote that song. Probably a really beautiful meaning. Shoot. I should. He's coming. I know. You know the story. He's coming, you know, I can live just looking for his coming. I mean, we're, I'm living a good life, I'm doing well, good family, good you know, all those things. But that's not the only expectation that we are to live looking for his coming and hastening his soon return. Whoa, that changes the narrative completely. That changes anything that is in neutral. You have to be in gear that what we do on the earth affects when he returns. No one knows the hour or time when he's coming back except the Father. I believe, in my humble opinion, that's my phrase that means I can say whatever I want after that. In my humble opinion, there's not a set date on the calendar that he's coming back. It says the Father is looking to and fro. He's looking all around the earth throughout generations to see who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's looking for just the right synergy. He's looking for specific things that he desires to see on the earth. And then he can say, now is the time for you to return. So if you have a date in mind, just pencil it in. We are called to hasten his soon return. We are called to live in such a way that he can't wait any longer. I must ride into the earth. I must. This is the moment. This is what I've been waiting for. I want to be part of that company. This is what Advent means to us as as Christians. Not just having a great time. We We got our tree yesterday and we're, you know, all the... You know, decorations are going. It's a beautiful, in that culturally it's a beautiful thing, but we have to have the fire of the gospel message of Christ burning in our hearts so that we are hastening when he comes back to us. So today's message is titled History Makers. That we become part of making history. That when the stories are retold in eternity, it, they will, it will be said that there was a company in Harrisburg that was part of the timing of the return of Christ. You're like, oh well, well I don't. Want, that's too much for me. I, I, I mean, I don't have to have that 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 level of responsibility. <laughs> that's exactly what he's looking for. He is looking around the earth to see who will worship him, who will engage with heaven here on earth. Let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, there's an expectation of soon return. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. For us as a church, I feel we're coming into a new era. A new season of acceleration in the, in the morning. Sue Roby had a word about acceleration. We're moving swiftly into what is ahead for us as a, as a community. Brian had a statistic in going through kind of like what we engage in as a community. Um, uh, in, in a given month, we have over sixty different ministries that are that that we're serving in in some capacity. In one month, sixty. That's not a normal. It's a city on a hill. It's not normal for a church, but for a city on a hill, that's a just about right. So we ask the Lord for more in the days to come. Thank you, Lord. So turn to Acts chapter 10. I want to highlight a passage. I shared this message in a different context last month on a Wednesday night. So if you were there for that Wednesday night, then this is a repeat. But if you don't recognize the message, you weren't paying attention. This is, this is a new, a fresh word I just got. <clears throat> Acts chapter 10 is one of the most understated passages. It's just hidden there, but it has such incredible significance for us, literally sitting in these blue chairs here today. The context for Acts chapter 10 is what happened in Acts chapter 2, when a Jewish group of people in the upper room were waiting for the promise. The Holy Spirit came and filled all of them, and then Peter got up and preached the gospel to... The nations, it says, devout Jewish men from every nation under heaven came hearing the sound. So it's still a Jewish thing. It's not church as we know it. It's still, it wasn't the start of the New Testament church era, if I may take that liberty in Acts chapter 2. But Acts chapter 2 was a culmination. It was a culmination of the trajectory of the prophetic promises concerning the Messiah and who he would be and what he would do on the earth. So all the prophets, the kings, the rulers, the judges, everyone who lived prior in our, in our Old Testament reading, their lives, their foreshadow, foreshadowing of their lives had the trajectory that brought them to Acts chapter 2. Jesus came, died, suffered, resurrected, and he says, I'm going, but I'm sending you the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. So that was not a new beginning. That was a culmination of what they were expecting, although it came in a form that they weren't expecting. Leave it to God to keep us on our toes. What if, oh, I don't want to get distracted. What if his second coming is not going to be as we expected? I'll leave that there for another day. So Acts, the context is Acts chapter 2 was a culmination with the Holy Spirit coming and, and vi- having this visitation with the Jewish community. So Acts chapter 10 unfolds a storyline that has everything to do with us here today. So let's begin at, in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. It starts with, a random name. We haven't heard this name before, but all of a sudden, his name is right smack dab in the center of the the the, the massive plan of God for salvation of the whole earth. Cornelius. Wait, who? What do you mean, Cornelius? Where do you you know what I mean you study, you're studying you know reading script, you're studying all these pieces, players, and, and, and then all of a sudden he's about to do something phenomenal, and there's a random person. Everyone say random Cornelius. But the verse begins by saying, there was a certain man. You see, in the narrative of heaven, he's been holding this man's life because something about his life caught heaven's attention. And he says, he's not a random person. As we know it in our reading, he's a certain man. It's unknown to us why he's there, but it is certain in the storytelling of heaven. We are like this Cornelius. We may not know what our life, the significance of our life, what our future holds, but we have, to, we have to receive heaven's narrative that we are certain in the plan, the language, and the narrative of heaven. There's a certain family. There's a certain person. There's a certain woman. There's a certain man, Mike Youngst. There's a certain church here in Harrisburg that God has been already fixing and preparing our storyline with him. This is exactly what happens to Cornelius. A centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. And here's his description, a devout man One who feared God with all his household, who gave generously to the people and prayed to God always. This is how he is, this is how, this is what qualifies him in this moment. He's a soldier. He's a centurion, meaning a ranked soldier in the Italian army, but none of his exploits are mentioned. It doesn't say how many people are under his care. It doesn't say how many battles he's won. It doesn't talk about his scars or his trophies. It doesn't talk about all the things he has accomplished or his giftings or his leadership traits. It talks about none of those things. It says he's a devout man. He's looking for those who will worship him. I found one, he's a devout man. And not only is a devout man, he blesses the people generously. Not just financially, he blesses. He sees the larger heart of God for the nations. It says in another context that he was well-loved among the Jewish community in Luke. So he saw the larger part of God's plan in God's heart and he just began to live a normal life, obscure life. If you think your life is obscure and really can't amount to much, you are literally a target for the work of God on the earth. Pick anyone. Pick any story here. Pick any story here, and I'll show you an obscure person. Pick any individual character in the Bible, and I'll show you their obscure story that led them to that point when heaven invades and the narrative changes who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously and prayed to God always. Wouldn't that be our greatest introduction? What if God introduced us like that? But we're often looking for other things. We're looking for fame. We're looking for fortune. We're looking for, you know what I mean? Like our normal life. That's what we think how we are credible. No, love the Lord with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself still remains at the spearhead of what God is looking for. And he found this in this certain man And about the ninth hour of the day, verse three, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of the Lord coming and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he had observed him and he was afraid, he said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up to me as a memorial. Here's random Cornelius living his life the best way he knows how to. He's not even part of the Commonwealth of Israel. He's outside of the Jewish context of life, but loving God and being kind to people. All of a sudden, God looks away from Israel for a moment, if I may, and says, Cornelius, your alms Uh, Your prayers and your generosity have come up as a memorial. A memorial is often what you write about or read about a person who has passed away. What is it like to have a living memorial in heaven on your behalf right now that no one else sees, but there's a fragrance, there's an aroma, there's a cloud of witness of your lives that is surrounding the throne room of God? Do you not think God will not respond to your life, Mike Ungst? Thank you, Lord. He was a living epistle on the earth and a living memorial in heaven. That's how I wanna live. That's how I wanna live. I don't have to have, it, it's not about having, being, being famous or people knowing you. This is living true with your husband and your wife, living true with as parents and children, living true in amongst your friends, living true to loving God and loving others in whatever context you are. There's a fragrance that attracts heaven. So that's Cornelius, and we'll come back to him. We still haven't discovered why he was picked. The second person in this passage is is good old Peter. Somehow Peter just shows up at just, he's everywhere, isn't he? I mean, I can't pick up a story without Peter showing up and doing something or the other. So we pick up, and and it says, the same time this Cornelius was having this vision and this encounter, And in the encounter, the angel of the Lord comes and tells him, Cornelius, go to this this other city. Send men to the city. There will be a man. His name is Peter. Find Peter and tell him to come over here to you, and he will tell you what is about to happen next. Peter has no idea that this is happening. Peter has no idea that heaven has already sent a message to Cornelius that he is about to participate in something. But there's Peter available. You have to understand, Peter was found praying on top of Simon the Tanner's house. The context is, Acts chapter 2 just happened. The longing, this is the house, if you go to Israel on a tour, this is where the door and in the, in the side of the house. Dr. Mark sent it to me after the first service. Peter is praying, he didn't, can, we be, can I be real for just a second? Peter didn't need to pray. They just had Acts chapter 2. The culmination of the things they were longing for. And on top of that, Peter, of all of them, stood up and preached the glorious gospel. Thousands were added to their company at that time. You know what I mean? They've, 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 done, they've done it. They've, they've, they've didn't, didn't done, done it. <laughs> That's a perfect time to take a vacation. You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if there was somebody in the 120 that took a vacation on day 35. <laughs> Oh, man, I did 35. Hey, I, I got to squeeze in my vacation days. I'm trying to do that. You know, missed out on that. But Peter is now, everything's done. The Holy Spirit's come. He's preached the gospel. The church is growing. He should be taking a vacation. But Peter was found praying in on top, on his rooftop. And Peter, classic. Cornelius gets a vision. Peter goes into a trance. I don't know what is going on with Peter. He goes into a trance. And in the trance, he sees a vision of a sheet, a large sheet held up by all all four corners. And in the sheet are animals, all kinds of unclean, unkosher animals. And then he hears a voice. And in our reading, this voice is in red letter. It says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. So far, the trance was going just fine until he heard that voice. It says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. This is in red letter, meaning, this will mess with your theology, meaning Peter is praying, and he goes into a trance, and in the trance, he has a vision. Not only that, in the vision, he hears a voice. Not only that, that voice is in red letter. That means that voice is Jesus speaking to Peter in a vision in the trance. And the voice, which is Jesus, says to him, Kill and eat. He says, He gives him a command that goes directly against and completely opposite to everything that Peter knows to be true. He was not one of the, the exquisitely learned of the 12 apostles, he was the least among them on, in that regard. Every time he, he stood up, they were like, Oh, not again, not, not Peter, come on. At least give us time to process what's happening. But Peter was always, so here's Peter. He knows that what was said does not make any sense. But the confidence Peter has is that it's not what was said to me, but the sound of the voice I hear is so familiar. There was another moment he said, if it's you, call." that's how strong Peter's theology is. Always, not sure if it's you, call me to come out on the water. And he heard that voice. They're still not sure. The nine, the 11 are in the back, Peter, it is I. And so in this trance, he hears the same familiar tone of voice saying, Peter, get up, kill those unkosher animals and eat it. Do you know what it means to him in the context of his life? He's not even with his other 11 apostles to kind of like explore the, hey, is this, is this wise? How do we, we can do it maybe in secret so the people, you know what I mean? There's so much at stake right now. The church is massive, it's growing, and we are representing this Jewish fulfillment. Remember, it's still a Jewish thing, and God comes, ro- you know, he could have told Peter theologically what to do. He could have laid out scripture after scripture after scripture and told him, this is what must happen. Don't you remember the, the prophecies of old? He could have brought, he could have drawn out the prophecies for Israel to become a blessing to the nations. He didn't do that. He told Peter to do the exact opposite of everything that is culturally known to him. He challenged him at his core. This is, the story is the beginning of the church of God as we know it right now. The standard is being set way up high. Meaning you have to believe risking everything in order to start the New Testament church era. You have to be able to risk your life, your ministry, your credibility, your culture, your understanding, your your little theology that you have. You have to risk it all for the sound that you know is familiar to you. This is how the church started. This is how the church started. This is our threshold. You should help me up here. The threshold is way up high. Anything that seems comfortable probably is not the Lord, in my humble opinion. Anything that is safe probably is not the way forward. Anything that does not have a hmm, a mm, I don't see it. He brings a nation out of bondage. If it was us, we would have set them on a highway. He brought them to the sea. If that wasn't enough, he had an army chasing him. That's the will of God for you. Here he says, rise, kill and eat. It has everything. You know, we're, we're involved in cultural tensions today on so many levels over the past, especially past couple of years. This is of even greater significance for Peter. He speaks directly right into that and says, get up, kill those things that you know to be true until now. It's not worth holding your culture that I gave you as a beautiful representative. It's not worth what I'm about to do. Both your national culture your demographic culture, your family culture, your own personal culture, kill it, so that I can do something phenomenal in your life. We're called to be that kind of a church here. Rise, kill, it would have been enough to kill. He says, no, now I want you to eat it. Do you see how Peter's thinking, no, Lord, I haven't eaten anything common or unclean. And in verse 17, now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision could mean, poor guy, he didn't even know how to handle it, but he knows it's the Lord. While he was wondering what does this mean, the people that Cornelius sent shows up at his door. You don't have to have it all figured out for God to be at your door knocking, said, I need you. I need you right now. Do you have the chutzpah? Do you have the courage? Do you have that internal grit and the confidence that this is me speaking to you to get up and move? And the Spirit, as he began to walk with them, the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter and he says, go, I have sent these men. And the Holy Spirit tells him, it's recorded, it says, go doubting nothing, meaning Peter was doubting everything. Poor guy, I can imagine him. I'm doubting nothing, I'm doubting nothing. I'm, this is you, this is you. I heard you, I heard you. Red letter, red letter, red letter, red letter, red letter. This is you, this is you. And then he thinks of the, uh, well, I'm going to this Gentile's house. It's forbidden for him to go into a Gentile's house. He thinks he's just going to their house. What am I, he's, what am I going to tell the apostles where? Well, he's trying to figure out theology. So he goes, we'll come back to this. He goes into Cornelius' house. Cornelius tells him, welcome, Peter. I was praying and I had this vision. The angel came to me and said to send you and that you would come and tell us what we need to do. It's like one of those moments when people tell you, hey, the Lord told me you have a prophetic word for me. And you're like, oh, I don't, God didn't tell me that. I have a prophetic word for you. That was a moment for Peter. I'm like, give me a warning. I mean, I had a two-day journey to get here. I would have prepared something. He shows up. This is what I love about Peter. He recognizes, he recognizes the moment. Contrary. He's in a Gentile's house against every commandment that he knows to be safe and Secure. And when he asks him, he, he knows that when he walks out of this house, all hell's going to break loose. He knows when he walks out of this house, all of his credibility is going to be questioned at its core. He knows that whatever has already in it, no matter what he does now, he's done, done for. He knows when he walks out, he will have nothing credible to say. But in that moment, he recognizes that moment. And he begins to preach the gospel to Cornelius' house for the first time. He doesn't lose That voice, he grabs a hold of it and begins to preach the gospel. And it says, as he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell. It wasn't even in Peter's message. It wasn't even in the comprehension of the message. It was in, do you have the courage to hear me contrary to everything you know to be true and still believe me? He recognized the moment In the worst possible setting. With no one to get feedback. None of the other 11 are there. None of the other guys that he runs with are there. He's alone. And he has to make that choice right there, right now. And he begins to preach the gospel. We are sitting in these, we're warming these blue seats because of that tender moment with Peter where he began to preach the gospel. And for the first time, the gospel message entered the nations through the house of Cornelius. So we know about Peter, we know the story. Who was Cornelius? We know a little bit about him, we know his personality. He loved God and you know, worshiped and prayed and gave alms and was generous, but why was he chosen? This is not a happenstance, this is not like a regular moment. This is the, 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 the message, the prophecies, all of the Old Testament now has culminated in the fulfillment in Acts chapter two. Now it's making its way to the nations which is still at play right now. So who is this Cornelius that will be chosen? There's two centurions mentioned in scriptures. And in my study, both those don't really align. So I put that study aside, in my humble opinion. The centurion mentioned in Matthew chapter eight has to be Cornelius. Here's a story in Matthew chapter 8. This is what qualified Cornelius to be that certain centurion in Acts chapter 10. Jesus now, in Matthew 8, is walking around all of Israel... Performing miracles, signs and wonders, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, cleansing the lepers. All this is happening. People are hearing about the fame of this man, Jesus, walking around the nation. And they're hearing that if you can get to him, if you can touch him, you're going to be made whole. So here's, a, here's a, a, an account from Mark chapter 6. And when they came out of the boat, meaning Jesus and his disciples, immediately the people recognized him, ran through the whole surrounding region, and began to carry about on beds who were sick to wherever they heard he was. So this is the kind of fame of Christ. As soon as they heard that he had landed by boat on their shore, they ran around and said, get your sick. All who are sick, all who need deliverance, they carried sick people on beds to Jesus. So because they heard if Jesus touches you, you're going to be healed. So this entire town and city, Wherever he entered, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that he might just touch the hem of his garment. As many as touched him were made well. What a profound story that follows jesus wherever he walks and people are pressing in just to touch him it is in this context that we see the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years that no one could heal she was in shame and 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 hiding in obscurity she presses through the crowds because she heard the rumor she heard the legend of this man that it's a magical moment if you can touch him if you it does, we don't even know who he is. We don't even know what his whole story, message, where he came from. Where did you come from? Where, where, did, where he's going? But all I know is that if you touch him, you'll be made whole. That was enough for this woman because she had a real need. She clawed through the crowd. And, and she says, if I could only touch the hem of his garment. And when she did, Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? Your faith has made you whole. So that was an accepted Faith in the land. There was another story of friends. One of the friends, he was really ill and needed healing. They rushed him like the woman. They rushed him to where they heard Jesus was, but he was in this house preaching and teaching and, and doing all kinds of miracles. When they came, the house was packed and people standing outside. They couldn't get their friend on, their, on this cot inside. So what did they do? They climbed up on the roof, opened the roof, and let down his friend on a bed so that Jesus could touch him. And Jesus, when he saw him, he said, he marveled at the faith of the friends. And he says, your faith has made you whole. So the accepted faith level of the entire nation of the commonwealth of Israel at that time was that if you can get to where Jesus is, if you can touch him, you're gonna be healed. If he can touch you, you're gonna be healed. So proximity is key. We don't even know who he is. But if you need something, get there. Now, Jesus comes into this town and there's a centurion. He knows the context, he knows the story, he knows what the accepted norm of the people of Israel that he's not a part of is, what their faith level is. He knows what what to do, he knows it's a formula isn't it? It sounds like a formula to me. He sees the formula working. He's heard reports. He's seen it with his own eyes. He's not part of Israel that he should think any different, but he says his servant was sick and he told his people, go find this man. And when you find him, tell him. There are two accounts of Mark and Luke, slightly differing there in the narrative. Tell him, I'm not even, I'm not, man. He says, I'm not worthy to come to where you are. I I have a sense of who you are. I'm not worthy to come to you. And then when he does see Jesus, he runs up and says, I'm not worthy not only to come to you, I'm not worthy that you should come to my house just Say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said of him, I have not found faith greater than this in all of Israel. Israel was satisfied looking for the coming of the Lord. But there was a man who was willing to hasten it in a moment. You don't even have to take the time. Just say the word. And Jesus said, I have not found faith, even in all of Israel, that this foreigner should demand a level of faith that has never been seen before. And in this moment, in my meditation, I believe Jesus said, the gospel will come. You said, I shouldn't even come to your house. But you have no idea that it is going to come not only to your house, it is going to go through your house. This is why I know this was the same man, because he said, don't come to my house, please, because I honor who you are. And Jesus said, I love this kind of faith. I'm coming to take it all. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord history makers. Peter, in that moment, Peter, in that tender moment, began to preach in an unkosher environment, risking it all. And then there's Cornelius, establishing a new dimension of faith that's never been seen. This was not prescribed. All of our faith life pretty much has been prescribed to us. We've learned it along the way somewhere or the other, but there are moments that God is looking for where we will reach higher than what is known and common in the land, that we would have the chutzpah, the courage to believe for things that has not been sought for. Till now, believe in a way that no man has ever believed before. You might think, Well, Chandi, I mean, we've been thousands of years since that that time. There are amazing missionaries and giants of the faith and preachers and gospel, all these things we've seen. Of, Of course, all of that's taken up. You know what I mean? All the provision of new faith is taken up. The faith is not dependent on our capacity. The faith that is available for us to step into is based on the endlessness of who God is. That means forever, until he returns, and maybe even after, there will be Plenty of room for us to reach even higher and believe for things that we have not seen yet, or believe for things in a way that we have not yet. David Hogan has an amazing quote no guts, no glory, new news, no newsletter story. I like that kind of uncommon faith. Thank you, Lord. I feel like we are in a Cornelius moment of uncommon faith, not seen in the land and a Peter moment of willing to risk it all. This was how the New Testament church era started. This was ground zero. This was level one. This was first grade for the New Testament church era. That was our threshold. Anything less than is less than God is calling us up higher. This is why Peter was on the rooftop, because there's something about coming out of what is known, out of our normal expectation, our normal life of what is expected. This is how you live. This is how you do a mission trip. This is how you preach. This is how you love your neighbor. What if there's something that hasn't been prescribed or seen yet? What if there are visions to grab a hold of that you're thinking people will call you? Fill in the blank. Qureshi family, you guys are targets for heaven in this season, targets for heaven. This is all, as I'm preaching, is all over your life and your family, your story. Thank you, Lord. So the invitation this morning is, do we have courage? You see, the story goes on, it doesn't end there. This is chapter 10, it ends where we end it right now. But chapter 11 begins with this. Now, all this is done, Gospel has been preached in Cornelius' house. Glory is happening. Gentiles are received the gospel for the first time. Now, Peter is walking back to Jerusalem. Poor guy. Now he has to explain, theologically explain to them what just happened. So I can imagine the conversation something like this. Peter meets the other apostles and the other Jewish believers. And it says that they heard that this had happened. So he goes into this. Peter, we heard some rumors. Tell us what happened. Peter's like, well, what it is, what had happened was, you see, I was praying. It was the midday, I was praying on my rooftop, and when I was praying, I was hungry, and I told him to make food. It actually happened, he told him to make food for him because he was hungry while he was praying. I fast like that. <laughs> he, and then while I was praying, I, ha- I went into a trance. This is Peter's best theological explanation of what just happened. So I went into a trance, and in the trance, I had a, I had a vision. And in the vision, Jesus spoke to me. And they were like, whoa, what is? Well, he, said, he showed me a picture of um, animals. What kind of animals? Well, they were like, you know, unkosher animals, all kinds of unkosher animals. And they're like, what, what, is, what in the world? And, and then the voice told me, Peter, rise, kill. And is that, is that all Jesus said? Well, he also told me to eat it. <laughs> Poor guy. Can you imagine them trying to, he's trying to give credit to what happened. There's, there's none. There's none. And it was a serious moment. This is the, the founding fathers of the church era. They were the, uh, the original apostles. They just had a phenomenal move of the Holy Spirit. And Peter here is risking all of it. And it says, when they heard Peter's explanation, they contended with him. Do you know what it means for a bunch of Jewish men to contend with each other? They contended with him. Think about this, all 11 apostles, plus the others who were there, did not recognize in that moment that the New Testament church era had just gloriously opened through the house of Cornelius who believed God according to a report that's never been seen before. And all that they're concerned about in that moment is their culture. All that they're concerned about is their stature. All that they're concerned about, what will people think of us? This is not even theologically. This, is, this goes against every commandment. That's how severe that moment is. But then Peter went on to explain that the gospel is not only for us, it is for the nations of the world. He became a history maker that day. Come on. Cornelius became a history maker in that day. So my question to us is, what area in your life do you feel you have settled into the ordinary faith of the day? When there's an invitation to live with uncommon faith that's never been seen before. Come on, let's stand to our feet. I'm not content being a good Christian. I'm not content being a pastor. I'm not content coming to church. I'm not content having an amazing church to be a part of. I am not content living this kind of life. I'm not called to be a pastor. I'm not called to be a church man. I'm not called to be a, I am called. What the fire I feel in me, I want to make history. I want to make history. When I say that, it's not about fame, name and fame. I want to make history. Even if my context is three people around me, I want to make history in their lives. If it's 10 people around me, I wanna make history in their lives. If it's my family, I wanna make history in my family. If it's my neighborhood, I wanna make history in my neighborhood. If it's my school, all of it requires courage. There is no other way to move into what is yet to come for the body worldwide and for us without courage. That you're willing to leave it all to hear that familiar voice. So the call today As we're beginning Advent season, the culture can grab a hold of the rainbow and take it wherever they want to. We still have Christ and Christ crucified. We still have the resurrected son of the living, you know what I mean? There's so much in our culture that we must be available to him like the centurion and Peter was. Here we are God, I'm not content playing church. I'm not content going to Sunday morning. I wanna go to boat services. I, I get paid to go to (laughs) Boatsburgs. We have to live with that expectation that God has called me to be a history maker here in 2022 in Harrisburg, for Harrisburg, for our city, for our state, for our nation, and perhaps... The gospel will go to all the nations of the world like it did with Cornelius. What is the faith that is lingering in the atmosphere for me to grab a hold of? What is yet, what are things that have been, haven't been touched by man that is still waiting for us? What is it? I want to. I will give it to me in a dream. Give it to me in a trance. Give it to me when I'm in, in, taking a, a, a shower. Give it to me anyway, God, I will, I'll hear and I'll run hard after. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're new here, we often invite people to respond to the word of God, not to the message, but to the word of God and the invitation. Who wants to be a history maker? Your work, your family, your school. We're living in this way that, God, this is what your desire is for us. Like Cornelius, who wants to enter in to that anointing. What area in your life is so ingrained in personal or family culture that it's difficult to let go so you can step into the new era together? We're on the verge of a new era here at Life Center. What area are you contending with and not letting go of? Is it your family culture? Is it what you think of the future? Could Could God already be a step ahead of you waiting for you? Thank you, Lord. Like he was with Peter. Peter was still trying to figure it out. And God was already orchestrating what was ahead for him. Come on, let's respond to the Lord. If you want to be counted, not as a Christian in 2022, but as a history maker, available to the Lord to be, I don't have to know how. Peter got there, he still did not know what was going on. Your name may not be in the newspaper, but you will be that certain man that God talks about. you know this is all this message is all over you this invitation for all of us so i want to open up the altar if you want a response saying god i don't have to know it i don't have to figure it out but i'm available to be a history maker come on out of your seat just come to the front we'll spend a few moments together in worship if the worship team's available because your movement forward moves us corporately as a church the difficulty that our dear friends from Calcutta went through and escaped and fled and came here, their friends are here experiencing this moment here with us. We don't have to have it figured out. When literally it seems like just the opposite is happening, God is working something even greater, even greater, even greater in our lives. All we have to do is, God, I'm available. I'm available. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just pray your own prayer to the Lord that you are available to Him to make history here in the land. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Tell Him you want to be like Cornelius. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In the first service, there was a that John mentioned the dear family. Who lost their 21 year old son tragically last week they responded and came up to the altars we want to be we want to be history makers there are many here as I look around you've lost you've lost your nearest and your dearest ones you're here I want to be a history maker Mary this is what it's about this is what faith looks like thank you Lord there are investments there are investments there are invest investments and investors Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, let's just, however you wanna respond, put your hands in the air, lift your hands to the Lord. God, we surrender our lives. Here we are. As a family, as an individual, my life, if ministry team's available, the Lord's moving in a beautiful way. Ministry team can come up and thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All of these are sacred moments. This is a sacred moment, just like it was for Peter. Use me, God. Use me, Lord. Thank you. History-making moments. Thank you, Lord. Even after the history-making moment, they contended with Peter. His circumstances didn't support everything. His family didn't see it. His friends didn't see it. But there he was making history on behalf of all of us. Peter dared to believe so we could be here in Harrisburg in 2022. Thank you, Lord. So do with us as a community. Do with us, family after family. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bold exploits for the Lord. Bold exploits for the Lord. Thank you, Lord faith that has not been seen in the land. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Call to climb up the threshold of heaven. Call to climb up. Thank you, Lord. Leave your friends behind and climb up to heaven. Leave your friends behind and go to that upper, the the, the rooftop. You see, Acts chapter two was the upper room, but you have to have faith like Peter to go to the rooftop to get into the next era. Thank you, Lord. If upper room was enough, I got more. There's more burning in me. I must go to the rooftop to see what is yet to be seen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So leave what you need to leave behind to reach upward. So I press on for the upward call of Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.